Well, this morning as we, uh, we're continuing our series uh, called Rhythms, and we're looking at what are the everyday movements in a Christian life that can tend to lead towards spiritual growth. Now, sometimes these series, uh, if you've heard them before in churches, can sometimes become a list of things that you know you probably should already be doing if you're a Christian, and, and, but that you struggle to do. And so there are a series that just reminds you of all the things that you should do in Scripture, and then you leave here with a new list or a renewed list. Now, what, we, what our heart is for this series is not that you leave with more burden placed on you. But we do want to look at some of the things that do tend to lead to spiritual growth. But instead of just saying, hey, we want you to be reading scripture. We want you to be praying more. We want these things that are that are commanded to us. But what we want to do is actually what is the rhythm that actually in our lives that helps us to engage in these things in a way that actually leads to spiritual growth and removes the burden doesn't add burden to us. And so we want to find what is the rhythm of what prayer really looks like or what engaging in scripture really looks like. And all of it is intended to point us back to who Jesus is and what he's done for us and and the promises he has. And so that's what we want to explore. Now today's rhythm that we're looking at is, is prayer. And prayer is one of the things that I am willing to guess that whether you were a Christian or not, probably everyone in this room has prayed at least once in your life. It's, it's, a, it's a spiritual discipline that people do in all faiths, and whether they believe in God or not. There's different kind of prayer. Some are just thrown out to the universe or whatever, but prayer is something that's often out there. But prayer to me is an interesting one because I often wrestle with the tension of prayer, of believing that if God is sovereign, if he is over all things, if he is able to do all things, then why does he need me to speak to him about things? Why does he even want to listen to me if I ask something? Why would, he, would God, who's sovereign, change his mind because I prayed? And I often think of that tension be, uh, with, with prayer, that it's this weird mix between God's all-powerful, sovereign plan and then my choices. Like, how does that even work? And the big question that I often have, that many of you probably have, is a question that says, does prayer work? And if it works, how does it work? And I, a few years ago, my wife and I were driving back. We were in Phoenix, at seen some spring training baseball games. We were driving home. I say a few years back. This was before kids, so I guess it was a few years longer than I can think of until I say that. But we were driving back and, and doing that wonderful drive on the 10 from Phoenix, you know, back towards the L.A. area where we were living at the time. That whole just all the desert, which just reminds me of what hell is probably like. So um, driving through that part of the country. But as we were driving that, we had all these conversations. As we get closer to the L.A. area, our conversation turns to a theological conversation. And we began questioning and talking about prayer. And our question was this, does prayer work? If it works, how does it work and why does it work? What kind of things should we be praying for? Should we not be praying for? What if we'd never pray? Will God still work in our lives? And so our biggest question we kept going back to is, do we don't, we, God, does it really work? Does it really matter? After about an hour of this theological conversation, we looked up and on the side of the freeway there was a billboard and it had two words on it. And it said, prayer works. <laughs> We looked at each other, we kind of laughed and said, okay, there's the answer, let's move on to the next topic. (laughs) 
And, and, and honestly, ever since that point, I felt like, now I know it's coincidence, who knows how long the billboard was there, but God in that moment was speaking to us in a way saying like, no, this is important, and we do, and it does matter, and it does work. Now, how does it work is a bigger question, or, or what does it mean that prayer works? Does it work in the way that I will always get what I want or what I think is best, or does it work to do something different in our lives. And that's kind of really what we want to explore here today. So before we dive deeper into the subject, let's take a moment and pray and ask God to speak to us. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this time. We thank you for how good you are and even how amazing it is that you would listen to us when we pray. Lord, that we can come to you as the creator of the universe. It blows my mind. And so, Lord, our request now is that you being so good, would you speak to us? Would you transform our hearts right now as we look into your word? We thank you and give you this time. In your name, amen. I'm going to invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Matthew chapter 6. We're going to get there in just a moment. Recently, I saw uh, this last week, our teaching team was kind of talking about this subject, and we saw that there was a pastor that we knew who asked his congregation, what are the things that keep you from praying? And it was really interesting to see some of their answers, because the answers that were given by the people in this other church were probably answers that many of you would give, and certainly answers that I have often had or felt in my mind for reasons why we don't pray. The, the answers came back, uh, one of them was this, is because God doesn't always answer my prayers. So I don't pray because I don't see him at work through my prayers. I, another reason that was given was that I'm too busy. I wake up in the morning, I intend to pray, but then I kind of get going, I have breakfast, I get my kids ready, and the next thing I know, my day has started, and I didn't even get around to praying. Or maybe for some of you, at the end of the day, you say, I'm going to end my day in prayer. And you lay down, you get ready to pray, and then you wake up eight hours later. <laughs> for some, I said the reason they don't pray is because life is relatively comfortable. There was nothing to pray about. Didn't want to burden God with things like, you know, I have a house, a place to live, food to eat. I mean, relatively good health. There's really nothing I want to pray about. God has plenty of other things that he needs to take care of. So why should I come to him with my prayers? Life is okay right now. Another reason given why people don't pray was because they felt guilt. Felt like, I don't really deserve to go to God and pray. How could I, who am I to go to the creator of the universe? I mean, look at my life. So I, I really don't feel worthy of asking God for something right now. Once I get my act together, maybe then I will pray. My guess is that some of those, maybe all of those resonate with you at one point or another throughout your week. I know they do for me. But it's interesting that though we feel this way, and I think that Christians from the beginning of time have felt this way and have wrestled with prayer, that scripture is pretty clear about it. In fact, there's over 500 instances in scripture that talk about prayer. Uh, many of those are examples of people who are praying and examples of when they are praying. We have in the Gospels alone, uh, in the New Testament, as it's talking about Jesus, there's over 38 instances where Jesus is praying and talking about prayer, so it's pretty common. But we have verses throughout Scripture that give us commands about prayer. There's verses that say things like, pray at all times in the Spirit. 
We have pray without ceasing. We have lift your holy hands in prayer. If you are sick, go to the elders of your church and have them pray. Be anxious for nothing but in everything through prayers and petitions. Present your requests before God. So we have throughout scripture, there's all this this sprinkling of commands about prayer. It's time and time again. So though we're people who struggle with it, it seems to be an important part of our spiritual lives. As I looked through all those verses, I kind of came to a couple themes that I noticed. We won't go through all 500 verses to look at the themes, but a few themes I think popped up about prayer that I want to use as a foundation as we get into today's prayer in the message. Is the one thing, three things that were really consistent was one, God invites us to pray. Throughout scripture, he invites us to pray to him. God knows who he is. He knows he's the creator of the universe. He knows he's above all things and above all people. He knows who we are, yet he invites us to pray. That is consistent from the beginning of scripture to the end. God invites us to be people who pray to him. Number two, what seems to be consistent is God hears our prayers. It's not as if God's saying, you know what, I I will get to your prayers later, and there's some sort of like backlog of, of communication with God. But he hears our prayers. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 12, in fact, it says that the prayers of the righteous people will be listened to and God will bend his ears and hear when we pray to him. It's interesting that he takes time to hear and listen. The other thing that it pops up in Scripture in, in, this, in Romans chapter 8, verse 26, says that sometimes when we're praying, the Holy Spirit actually interprets our prayers and, and prays what we, need, what we need more than we even know. So sometimes he takes our prayers and he translates them in a way to the Father and saying, this is with words that we can't even understand. And so we have that on our behalf, the Holy Spirit takes our prayers and makes them what we really need as his prayers to God. So God is concerned, he's listening, he invites us to have this relationship with him that includes communication. And I believe it's a two-way. There's times that he wants us to speak, and there's times in prayer he wants us to just sit and to listen to his voice. So when we think about prayer, then today I want to look at Matthew 6, because this is a passage where Jesus starts teaching about prayer. In fact, he starts off and says, when you pray, don't be like the Pharisees or the hypocrites who stand in public and they make their prayers to impress other people. He says, don't do that. Have you ever been in a prayer circle with people and someone starts praying and you're like, they are a very good prayer. You ever hear that? You know, you're like, man, I can't, my prayers aren't like their prayers. They're even praying in King James. They're so spiritual. I mean, this is like, they've got it down. And, and, and it gets to you, and you feel like your prayer is just, um, God, um, yeah, I need some help. You know, so it's, sometimes we feel like maybe we, we don't have what to offer. Here Jesus is saying, don't be like those who are putting their prayers on display. Now, if you are an eloquent prayer, we're not calling you out here. We're just saying don't pray to, be imp- to impress other people. That God's not impressed with how you present your words. And so Jesus is saying, don't be like those who say it publicly as if, just to get the attention of, wow, what an amazing spiritual person that is. He also goes on to say, don't be like the the pagans or the Gentiles, in this case, the Romans, who he says, babble on and on with endless words. 
I, I, I read that verse, so I looked up some ancient Roman prayers, and there's prayers that were written down at the time of Jesus, and they are like these two-paragraph-type prayers that essentially are saying, God, help us on our journey home. But there are two pages of giving all these names for God, Jupiter and the Caesar, and make sure this person's happy and this person, and all these eloquent titles and saying, if you so desire, see me as I'm traveling on my way home with my family, and if you are the one I think you are, um, then I would ask that you protect us, and if you do, I will give you two oxen. That's literally a prayer that I read that was two pages long, and, and so Jesus is... An, making this analogy saying, don't be like the Romans who think the longer you babble, the more God will listen. As if somehow you come up with the right terminology by talking more and more and more. Because then Jesus says, because the Father in heaven knows what you need before you even ask. So it's not as if eventually God the Father is going like, oh, that's what you meant. Man, it took you a while to get there, but I'm glad you got there. No, he knows what you need before you even ask. So we don't need to babble on and on as if we need to convince God to do something for us. So Jesus gave that instructions, and then the disciples said, well, then teach us how to pray. How to, we want to know then, how should we pray? And Jesus responds here in Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, in what is probably the most popular, famous prayer uh, in the universe. It's a prayer that whether you are a Christian or a non-Christian, you've probably heard it at some point. Uh, the odds are most of us in this room have heard this and maybe even know it, this prayer. And so this is how Jesus responds when they said, teach us how to pray. He responded in Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, and says this. Pray then in this way. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we have forgiven those, or, or forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And then some translations have the ending, for yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. So when asked how to pray, why does Jesus give this as the prayer? What is it that we can learn from this? If this is the model of the prayer that we need, that he says when to pray, this is it, why is it simply that? And it looks so different than many of the prayers that we often pray. And there's a few things that I believe in here will help us develop the rhythm of prayer that is in a prayer in the life in the way that helps reorient our perspective. Because this prayer... And this isn't the only pray, prayer you ever have to pray. In fact, Jesus prays many different prayers. But it's a model, there's a pattern in here that I believe is the key and the actual secret what Jesus is sharing with us. So let's look at it and what are the ways that this prayer reorients our life or changes our focus. And the first one is this, is it reorients and helps us understand our position before God. He starts off in this prayer and says, Our Father who is in heaven. It's intended to begin with a reminder of who is God and who is not God. <laughs> we are speaking to our Father who's in heaven. I don't know if this ever, if you ever think about this, but doesn't it seem pretty incredible that the one who created this world has invited us to speak to him? 
I don't know about you, but when I stop and think about that, sometimes that blows my mind. That, wait, you have time to listen to me? You, you are listening when I speak? And so Jesus is reminding us, begin with this, understand your position before God. Our Father who's in heaven. This is the creator God. Now he uses a very interesting phrase. He starts off with our Father. In a lot of the traditional Jewish prayers, it is more like, blessed are you, O king of the universe, our God. And you begin with this lofty title for who God is, which is a true title. But Jesus says, begin with our Father. It's a reminder of the nature of your relationship. Your position before God is not just the creator of the universe, but it's the creator of the universe who loves and who cares about you. The whole idea of our father, in, 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 of course, in ancient times, sometimes fathers had a reputation. They were very patriarchal. Sometimes they were domineering. But when Jesus relates father to God, it's in very different ways. In fact, we know in the book of Luke, when he gives this parable called the parable of the prodigal son, he gives, uses the father in this parable as an example of who God is, the heart and character of God. Very loving, nurturing, caring father. We find glimpses of that God throughout the Old Testament as well, throughout the Hebrew Scriptures. In the book of Hosea, which is not a common book that many of us probably spend time reading, the book of Hosea speaks about the relationship of the nation of Israel to God and how this, this, they continue to run away from Him, but He continues to love them. Here in Hosea chapter 11, notice these verses. He's speaking about the relationship or the comparison of God as a father. When Israel was a child, I loved them. And out of Egypt, I called him my son. But the more they were called, the more they went away from me. They sacrificed to the Baals. They even burned incense to the images. Now at this point, this would not be what is leading towards a very good relationship. Would you agree? The more I called out to them, the more I searched after them, the more they turned from me and worshipped false gods. At that point, the, what you would imagine... In the ancient world, and I would argue probably to this day, that if you treat your father in that way, that is not enhancing the relationship. The father's probably not going to respond to you very lovingly. But look at verse 3. It was I who taught Ephraim to walk, taking the, and that's one of the tribes, taking them by the arms, but they did not realize it was I who healed them. I led them with cords of human kindness, with ties of love. To them, I was like one who lifts a little child to the cheek, and I bent down to feed them. Isn't it amazing? When Jesus says, our Father is how we begin our prayers, he is conjuring up this image from Hosea 1 of God the Father is not a domineering God who's uninterested in you or hearing from you, but there's this picture of like a father who bends down to pick up the child and hold the child to his cheek, who leads them with cords of kindness. How many of you approach your prayer life believing that God has that kind of love and tenderness towards you? Or do your prayers, you approach him with fear as if, God, I know you're not interested in me right now. I know I probably shouldn't be coming to you, but do you think you could maybe, if you have time, I don't want to ask for much. <laughs> How many of our prayers sound like that? Instead of our father who bends down and picks up the child, the rebellious 
child and leads him with cords of love. I was thinking just this last week, our family, we moved to a new house and I was taking the trampoline down in the backyard and had some guys from our life group helping us out. And I was saying, I don't know why it's so sad taking a trampoline down uh, because it's going to save my back to no longer have it. It's wonderful. Um, But just taking it down and all those memories. But one thing about the trampoline that I love is my kids, especially when they were younger, would say like, dad, come jump on the trampoline with us. Come out here with us. And there would be days I'm like, you know, my ankle hurts, my back hurts. When I jump, it's like, you know, but then you look at your kids, they're like, Father, spend time with us. <laughs> and I don't know why they sound like Charles Dickens in that moment, but you know, but it's when they, they look at you and they just say, Dad, spend time with us. Will you come jump on the trampoline? And every time it's like, you know what? I want to say no so bad, but actually, I, for selfish reasons, but I look at you like, yes. Okay, let's do it. I'll go out there and, and jump on the trampoline and hang out with them. And I think that because there's relationship involved there. And in those moments, it's never like, why would you bother me, child, and ask me for something like that? What they're asking is, Dad, will you hang out with me? Will you come jump? Will you throw us around? Will you play? And I think as an imperfect father who falls very short, but I want to love my kids in that way. How much more is the perfect heavenly father wanting to respond to us when we come to him in prayer? How much more does he listen being the perfect one? So Jesus reminds us, begin with our father. There's that we understand our position before him. The next part of that, hallowed be your name, understanding your position. This phrase is really probably, it should be translated something along, make your name holy, Um, which is a little bit, seems counterintuitive. God is holy. His name is holy. He doesn't need to make his name holy because that is his essence of who he is. But it's a reminder. It's a way of saying, let us not profane your name because your name is your reputation. In the ancient world, your name represented who you were. And God was holy. He set apart. He's other than any other. And to profane the name of God would be to make it common. That's a simple way to to think of the translation. The opposite of being holy is to be common. And so the prayer was, your name is so other than, may you stay other than. May you not have a common name. And implied in that then is, Lord, in our lives, we want to reflect the holiness of who you are. We don't want the, the nations to think, oh, you're just like every other God. In fact, we find that in Ezekiel chapter 37, where God is saying, I will make my name holy so that the nations don't think I am common just like all the others. That's my translation, but essentially that's what he's saying. So remembering our position before God, the holy God and the loving Father. You know, implicit in prayer is this. When we pray, implicitly implied is, I don't have what it takes to make this thing happen. I need someone or something other than me to step into this situation. So, and that's really this understand your position. Prayer is about saying, I need you, God, at this moment. It implies that it helps us to know that we are the creation, not the creator. So the first thing we see in this prayer is understanding your position. So when we pray, let's begin by recognizing who God is. Remind yourself. And by the way, God knows who he is. So by your saying it, he's not going like, oh, I forgot that. No, this is to remind us who he is. 
who he is. He goes on. So, our Father who is in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So the next part of this is it helps orient us in understanding God's purposes. Yes, today's sermon is brought to you by the letter P. So the first one was position. Next one is purposes. Jesus wants us to remember that this is about God's purposes. May your kingdom come and your will be done. When Jesus is speaking about the kingdom of God, he's speaking about a now and a yet to come type of a kingdom. There is a future kingdom of God that we refer to as eternity in heaven. And that is when God makes all things new and restores that there's new heavens and new earth. That's the kingdom of God. But also the kingdom of God is now. It's the presence of Christ in the lives of his people throughout the earth, the kingdom that is alive now. And so when Jesus spoke about the kingdom of God is at hand, he's saying Jesus has ushered in an era where the kingdom, the, the qualities of the kingdom of God are present. They're evident. And who are they evident in? They're evident in the lives of his people. So God, may your kingdom come. May your kingdom principles be here. Now, I don't know about you, but when I look at the governments and the kingdoms of the world, I prefer the kingdom of God. It's just me. <laughs> I prefer the kingdom where God is about justice, and at the same time, he's about mercy. He's about compassion and love and grace. He's about forgiveness. He's about helping people who can live in unity even though there's diversity, that's the kingdom principles of God that are teach, taught by Jesus time and time and again. So these are the, this is the kingdom. He says, may your kingdom come. God, let it be about your purposes and what you are about. And may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. How many of us pray that God's will be done, but we give him the parameters of how that should look? Lord, may your will be done, but okay, so I, what I'm going to need for that to work is, you know, I need this much money, I need this house, I need this job, I need that girl, I need whatever it is, right? God, I think this is probably your will, so I'm going to pray for these things. Your will be done is, again, reorienting our lives under God's purposes and saying, Lord, what you have is enough for me. That's a scary prayer. God, may your will be done. It's a scary prayer to go to God and say, I want what you want in my life life. That's a scary thing to pray for. God, work in my life the way you want to work. There's certain things that I often think are prayers I don't want to pray. I don't always want to pray that God has his will done in my life. The reason he, Jesus says on earth as it is in heaven, because in heaven God's perfect will happens. On earth we have sin that gets in the way. Here Jesus is saying we don't want sin to interfere with what you're doing in my life, God. I want you to have your way with me. So I often say there's things like patience. You probably don't ever want to pray for that because God just might work on you and teach you patience. <laughs> Humility, don't make that prayer. Don't do that. God will, he will help you with those. Those are the, I'm not, I'm kidding. You can pray for both of those. Those are good. But when you pray them, know that God will work in your life. Those are prayers that say, God, I want you to shape me into the person you want me to be. You are my loving father. And by the way, he's, remember, it's the loving father. Sometimes we think if I tell God to have his way with me, he's going to torture me. <laughs> I know you guys think this because I've heard it before and I've thought these things. 
I don't want to pray, God, that you, your will be done in my life because you might send me to Africa. <laughs> Some of you have prayed that. Like, Lord, I'll do anything, but just as long as it's in Carlsbad. It's <laughs> and if there's big surf, like, after the big surf, because I have stuff to do. So, you know, God doesn't, sometimes we're afraid to pray because we think he's going to give us the opposite. No, he wants what's good for you. But saying your will be done in my life is saying, God, I, I want to surrender to you and I want what you want for me. How different do our prayers begin to look when we begin this way? When we recognize who we're praying to and when we pray, Lord, ultimately what we want is your glory. We want your will to be done. Notice that that's how the model that Jesus starts with before he gets to anything else. After that, he says, and give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our, our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. So the next part of this prayer that we see is that it orients our lives under God's provision. Again, letter P today. So once we understand our position before God, we start praying for God's purposes, then Jesus says, come to me with your requests. Talk to God about provision. This prayer here, give us this day our daily bread, literally it's translated, give us enough bread for today. Give us what we need today. I wonder if Jesus was relating to, there's a proverb, Proverbs chapter 30, verse 8 says this, keep deception and lies far from me and, and give me uh, Help me never be too poor that I want to become a thief and help me never be too rich that I become prideful and I forget about you. Give me what I need for today. I wonder if that's what Jesus was relating to. But the prayer is, God, would you provide what we need? Do you know it's okay to present your requests to God? It's okay. Now, some of you are afraid to pray because you say, you know, there's more needy people than me out there. And so what I'm asking God to provide, maybe I shouldn't even ask because there's this homeless person down the street. He needs God's provisions more than I need God's provisions. That is probably true. But Jesus tells us, once we orient our lives and recognize our position before God, we surrender to his purposes. He says, present your requests. Ask God, Lord, would you provide what I need for today? Ask for his provision. Now, he may answer it in ways that you are not expecting. He doesn't always give you the way you think, the answer the way you want it to be answered. Lord, if you would just provide, there's this mega millions coming up, and that would, I'll even give 10% to the church, and I'll even help the homeless if I win. Lord, this is your way of providing for everyone. If you just, you want to hook me up, that'd be fine. He might say, I'd love to provide for you, but I'm going to provide for you by helping you have less and learning that I'm enough for you in your current situation, in abundance and in little. And so sometimes, but if we begin with this prayer, we start to ask and we start to look for the answers in different ways. So he says, ask, get to the provision, ask God to supply your needs. In Philippians chapter four, verse six, I already mentioned to you, but it said, don't be anxious for anything, but in everything with prayer and petition, present your request before God. It's okay. I often struggle with that, and I think, Lord, this isn't big enough for me to pray about. This isn't big enough. I, I should have grown past this. Lord, would you help me? I'm feeling anxiety about this upcoming decision. Oh, but you know what? It's not that big of a deal. No, 
The loving father says, present your request before me. Ask for the provision. Ask me to step in and give you comfort, to give you wisdom, to give you peace. It's okay. Present those requests before God. And he says, and forgive us our sins. That's a great one to pray. Part of this, Jesus reminds us, God, provide forgiveness. He already provided the ultimate forgiveness for us, but there's something very healing about confessing and saying, God, I need your forgiveness. And let me just make a quick textual note. This does not mean forgive us for our sins because we've forgiven others as if God's forgiveness is conditioned upon your actions. It's not. It's saying just as we forgive others, would you forgive us? Lord, forgive us. Undeserving, forgive us. Again, he already has, but it reminds you of that relationship. And then don't lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil You can even think of that as keep us from situations in which we're tempted. Keep us from falling into situations when we're tempted beyond what we can handle is is one way that some scholars believe he's implying there. So this prayer is not answering all of our questions about prayer today. I haven't addressed, well, what happens when you pray for somebody and it seems like it was God's will that they should be healed and they weren't. We have a family member who, uh, my wife's side, they were part of a church, and uh, the church had one of the children, as a five-year-old in their church, who uh, got sick, and the whole church started praying. And the pastor told them, we need to have faith and pray that God heals this child, and the child died. And the pastor came back to the church and said, somebody in here didn't have enough faith, and that's why the child died. And people lost their faith from that statement. We can't always answer this. I don't believe that's the heart of God. I don't know why God did what allowed that to happen. I know for some of you, you've gone through some terrible things. I don't know why. There are no answers for that sometimes. And I don't even know what it's like to journey through that. But I know that God still asks us to come to him. He asks us to, to present our requests. The sovereign God invites us to pray and tells us he will listen. And how that works out, that's a journey that we're all on figuring out. And I guess that there'll be a day when we all get answers that we've never seen here on earth. And we long for that day. But let's not take what God has invited us to do and say because it doesn't, we haven't figured this out perfectly and throw it out. I believe the rhythm of prayer is a rhythm that will transform your spiritual life, especially when we model it as Jesus told us to model it, orienting our lives under who God is and what he has done for us. As we end here, I want to just give you a simple acronym too. For those of you who are very visual and you like to have some extra tools, here's an acronym if you want like a model for prayer. Just write the word pray and start off with praise. Again, Acknowledging who God is, his position in your life. The next one is repent. Acknowledging that God's purpose is, Lord, help me not be about what I want. Help me not be about these actions in my life, Lord. I surrender this to you. And then it's that ask for A. Present your request to God. And in this acronym, Jesus didn't have this in his prayer, but I think it's a good one, is Y for yield. Be able to surrender and say, Lord, I... Not my will, but yours. A little different order than the Lord's Prayer. But that yield to say, God, whatever you have, have your way with me. 
I was thinking uh, the best way, I think, for us to end our time here today, instead of having me come up with a prayer, why don't we do the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray? So we're going to pray the Lord's Prayer together and then sing. So would you stand with me? And I have it on the screen for you. Some of you, the words may be slightly different than your upbringing, so that's okay. You can do the version that you're comfortable with as well. But as we end our time, how appropriate that we say the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. Let's pray this together. Our Father, who is in heaven, holy is your name. May your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen.